Adult content intended for an adult audience only. All characters engaging in sexual relationships or activities are 18 years old or older. Contains explicit words, thoughts, and ideas. This story was found on a free website and brought to audio form here. I did not write and take no credit for this story. Please visit the link above to further support this writer. Gun Gun Teddy Bear by Todd172 Katie looked drawn and pale, not the buoyant cheerful girl I'd married ten years ago. She'd lost a few pounds lately. She'd always carried a few extra and I never had a problem with it. It suited her bubbly cheerful personality. I hadn't seen that Katie in a while. When, Kurt? When? I don't know, babe. I can't just walk out, it's too important. I saw a whole series of angry expressions flash over her face. Don't babe me, Kurt. This is bullshit. You promised them four years and it's been six. Six damn years of this. She gestured at Maya bag sitting next to the door, a black velcroed strip hanging off it, staring at us with blood-red eyes. This shit. Katie, look, as soon as I can get out of it, I will. I'd be doing deployments almost anywhere we went anyway. Her expression changed to shocked disbelief. Seriously? You're going to compare this to a normal unit? One where they schedule deployments months in advance instead of hours, and one where I can at least know where you're going or at least find out where it was after you get back? The unspoken word was, if. Katie wasn't as naive as some of the wives she knew that many of the training missions weren't really training missions. Her best friend, Tina with the ever-changing hair, was a nurse at the facility where some of ours got patched up when things went wrong. The van out front in our cul-de-sac revved its engine. Two more team members were waiting for pickup at the bachelor's quarters, where she was threatening to send me if something didn't change. It'll just be a few days, maybe a couple weeks, Katie. We'll talk as soon as I get back. Her anger was palpable, as real and solid as the handle of Maya bag as I hefted it up. In some ways I was surprised she even let me kiss her and the little girl in her arms our little girl goodbye. I felt trapped and bitter on the ride to the airfield. Hell, I couldn't tell her where we were headed. I didn't even know. The unit, spouse liaison, Sergeant Wendy O'Connell would let them know periodically that we were fine, but none of the wives liked or trusted her. She was young, cute, and earnest and all too obviously didn't know much, if anything, more than they did. I needed to find some way to calm her when I got back or I'd be the next on, the block. The divorce rate in the unit was over 60%, which, given the stress, the long absences and near-constant training seemed low. Katie, like most of the wives, just didn't understand how important this was. That it was bigger than us. She was close to done. She'd been sending all the signals that the life was too stressful, that I wasn't around enough to even qualify as a dad to our little girl. But letting go of the job, well, it was hard. Giving up the most important thing you'd ever seen or done, or even heard of. It's so damn hard. I was sure we'd get through it. I was the best, the absolute best. I was the close quarters specialist, the monster. I led the stack through the target zone. Nobody, nothing was faster or deadlier than I was. I had talent. We named that talent, called it by the old warning from the training shoot house. Gun. Gun. Teddy bear. Enter a room with a dozen potential threats. Some were hostages, some were gunmen. And you had to eliminate the bad guys without killing hostages. As you entered, they moved, ducked, and screamed. Some were holding guns or grenades, and those were the ones you had to eliminate. I in one scenario, a woman would pull a small dark object from their coat. She was almost invariably shot. And as she fell, the object would bounce free. A small, dark blue teddy bear. The hard part was pulling the trigger during the next scenario. That teddy bear was legendary. I didn't have a problem pulling the trigger the next time, because I was the reason for the almost and almost invariably. I'd identified the bear as harmless and moved on to the next target. And in the next scenario, when she pulled a gun, I shot her without hesitation. I kept that teddy bear on my desk. I was that damn good and proud of it. Asterisk, asterisk, asterisk. The mission was in Asia we'd been loaned to an international police effort against. White slavery. What would later be called human trafficking. Girls, teenage and younger, sold across international boundaries as part of the sex trade. An FBI agent investigating the murder of three young girls in Texas had made it a personal crusade, found the links and found a local government official who was clean enough and ambitious enough to trust. He'd arranged to invite us in on a training exercise. So we could do what he didn't trust his own police to do. Break the back of the largest Chinese organized crime slave trade ring in the world. We'd brought the full complement, enough operators for two full teams. That way we'd have backup for everyone, 
and could increase the team's size as necessary. Even the backup monster was with us. He was new, but he was fast as hell and endlessly aggressive he passed the gun gun teddy bear test just like I had. He didn't have the experience I did, but that would come with time that he'd run on a couple of relatively low threat missions and done just fine, even when things had gone sideways on one of them. Maybe he was the reason I really didn't want to quit professional jealousy, the desire not to be replaced. The FBI agent met us in a side room of the hangar. She wasn't what we expected. The tall, slender, brown-haired woman had her back to us as we filed in and sat down, sketching out building diagrams on the board. Of course, the first things we noticed were her long legs and that skirt. There was, to be honest, a not-too-subtle murmur of appreciation rippling through the team, and Hollywood our team one sniper and resident ladies' man made a show of slicking his hair back, grinning and waggling his eyebrows. She turned around and glanced over us with a piercing gaze. If you're all done staring at my ass, we'll get this briefing started. The. Don't fuck with this one. Light kicked on in my brain. She was serious as hell. The rest of the team, even Hollywood, settled in at once. They'd all registered the same warning light. I'm Special Agent Hawthorne. And this mission rolls in less than three hours, a full day early, so we don't have time to screw around here. You all read the briefing packets on the plane, I assume. I'll cover what we've learned since they were sent. She covered the changes and updates in detail. There were twice as many potential gunmen as had been there previously, and nearly four times as many hostages and four times as much area to cover, forcing us to use both teams. I guess we'd find out how the new kid would do as the monster for Team 2 in a real potential goat fuck. Asterisk 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 I have no idea what triggered the early launch. She never explained it, and I'm a hammer, not the carpenter, so it didn't even really matter to me, except the ways that it impacted the tactical situation. It went smoothly, flawlessly, a textbook example of what operations should look like. The special agent had, with unspoken words, made it clear that we weren't there to capture criminals. Our only priority was to rescue as many of the girls as we could. Any resistance, any effort to slow us down from achieving that objective was to be eliminated immediately. We waited in two unmarked panel vans. We relaxed as best we could in the heat and confinement. I pulled the Velcro back patch from a cargo pocket and centered the blood red demon eyes on my chest. It was my ritual, my transition from Kurt to the monster point one hour after nightfall. Her man killed the power to the entire block, blanketing it with blackness. We clicked on our night vision goggles and moved in through rows of the gold painted cars favored by the gunmen of this organization. The entry on our end was soundless, the lock on the door didn't resist at all. The gunmen did as I think the special agent both hoped and expected they would. They didn't have a chance in the darkness and chaos. Most of them never even really identified the odd mechanical stuttering cough of the silenced MP5 SDs as gunfire. There wasn't time for hesitation in the race to the holding cells. Every man who came into my sight with a gun in hand took two rounds center mass, and I kept moving through the tangled rat warren. The rest of the stack followed, finishing any who continued to show resistance. Resistance included breathing. We wouldn't risk getting attacked from the rear, even by a wounded man. When we eventually saw the state of the girls in the holding cell, it was clear there'd be no lost sleep over any of those men. We certainly missed some in the tangle of rooms, but if they fled armed, Hollywood and his counterpart were waiting outside for them. I in the back of my mind. I wondered if Team 2 had encountered the same level of resistance that we broke into the entry room to the holding area. At almost exactly the same moment as the lead element from Team 2. The guys in the room were a bit more prepared for us, a lantern was on, and they at least already had their guns in their hands. Not that it helped. One got off a shot but it was up into the ceiling. A an old lady huddled in the corner of the room watching almost expressionless as we swept the area and began extracting the badly abused girls from filthy cramped cells that were built more like dog kennels than anything else. The Team 2 monster and I stood in the entryway staring outward in case anything went sideways. I'd met him at a barbecue a couple months ago. The sergeant major made sure we had a barbecue every month or so if we weren't on a training cycle, he really loved firing up the grill. The new guy seemed okay. A little too eager, a little too young we all ran a bit older than usual for the army, but for us he was pretty young. I hadn't met his wife. But Katie had, and she said his wife seemed nice enough a bit naive, but pleasant. I shot a sideway look at him, but didn't say anything. It felt like a million years ago that I joined the unit. I could barely remember it anymore. So we stood. The old lady sat stone-faced in the corner watching us, a distant look in her eyes, as if she was really miles away. She suddenly smiled a bit, and began to pull something from her jacket. The new kid raised his hand toward her to tell her to freeze. MYMP5 coughed twice, 
both rounds entering just above the bridge of her nose that he looked at me in shock as she slumped sideways. Her hand fell free showing that she hadn't had a chance to pull the pin on the grenade. His expression changed from shock to awe that he might have even said something, but I couldn't hear anything. The hollow roaring in my head was too loud that I was the best. But that hadn't been why I'd shot her. I hadn't even seen what was in her hand that I'm sure somebody could make the case that I'd detected something in her manner, but that'd be bullshit. How the hell could a farm boy from Iowa have any understanding of what a woman from halfway around the world, a completely different culture, would do from her smile? No. I'd shot her because I was afraid the new kid would beat me to it. That hit me like an electric shock. My life was one long game of gun, gun, teddy bear. And I wasn't even looking anymore. The crowd outside was immense by the time we finished bringing the girls out. Hawthorne had had her own problems. While the operation was going on, the district police chief had shown up with a hastily assembled force and every intention of attempting to arrest us all. He was in on the take and had gotten a panicky phone call from somebody in the hellish prison that she'd listened to him screaming at her, checked her card, found his name and picture, then simply shot him in the face while calling for the snipers to pin down his men. She then called every international news organization, NGO and embassy on the planet. The fact that she had the phone numbers on her probably meant something. So we emerged into a sea of reporters, Red Cross personnel and embassy officials from nearly every embassy in the city. The girls were terrified of us, apparently believing we were some kind of robots, so, against all wisdom we pulled our masks off to show we were human. That helped a little nobody would ever mistake us for Chinese, and that was at least some comfort for them. We herded the girls onto buses with embassy representatives from every major embassy. Special Agent Hawthorne was ecstatic to find out about the old lady. Turned out she'd been one of the top leaders for this particular crime family. Nobody knew where she was hiding, and she was on more, most wanted, lists than they could count. They were still trying to figure out how many counts of murder, torture and kidnapping she was wanted for. Why that mattered anymore was beyond me. She must have known her identity would be discovered and decided to take a few of us with her. That didn't help. I still knew. Maybe Katie should run out we were back at home in less than a week. I called the house, but there was no answer. Not surprising in the middle of the day. Katie spent a lot of time at the community center at the usual. Mommy and me. Activities. That's where I usually found them. I'd head over there after I got my gear in the house. The van dropped me off and I trudged up the steps under an iron gray sky, past our minivan. The community center was just a couple blocks away, so Katie usually pulled the little toy red wagon over there instead of driving that I felt like an invader in my own home. It was dark and lifeless without Katie and our little girl. Nothing really seemed important in the house just, stuff, and none of it really felt like it was mine. Maybe my place was somewhere else that I was still putting my gear in the closet in the spare bedroom we made into our home office when the phone rang from the desk. A jarring, hateful sound in the empty house. Kurt? Sergeant Major. Need you back here in the briefing room immediately. We have a problem. He said other stuff and I told him I'd be there, but my attention was riveted to a rumpled set of papers that had been lying next to the phone that I'd picked it up so I'd have something to write on if I needed it. It was upside down when I picked it up, so I checked to make sure it wasn't critical before I wrote on the back. A form for a petition for divorce. Lawyers have them, it's that impersonal. Here, fill out this form and we'll get right back to you with the petition. This one was half filled out, and at least a half dozen inks. Odd little round marks dotted the surface, and the ink had blurred and run in a couple places, where tears had fallen. Every time I left, she was filling out a few more blanks, a few more lines. Crying the whole goddamn time. This was killing her. My life was a game of gun, gun, teddy bear. And I wasn't even fucking looking. I left the papers where they were, upside down, scrawled a note on a blissfully blank piece of paper, and left it on the kitchen table. I walked out to the van. Found the old license plates on the driver's seat with a heavy cross-tip screwdriver. That put me off for a second until I remembered Katie asking me to change them a couple days before I ended up leaving. Another failure. I threw them into the passenger seat, cranked the van and headed back to the unit briefing room, where I found myself staring at me, standing next to Agent Hawthorne, helping a ten-year-old girl into a bus. The press had been everywhere, there was no way to avoid photos. Most of them would be harmless, and even in this one, I was simply called an unnamed FBI agent. Gotta love those ubiquitous black tactical uniforms. Still, the security goons had to figure out what it meant and how careful I needed to be. The consensus was that I was pretty safe, but to warn Katie to keep an eye out for a while. Maybe eight months. She'd fucking love that. It took hours. And by the time I headed back, it was dark gray and raining steadily, 
matching my mood. I almost missed them. Just as I pulled into our cul-de-sac, a car left the curb where it'd been parked and crept in behind me. Only the parking lights on. As he followed behind me under the corner streetlight, I could see it was a gold Jeep Eagle. A convertible. By the time that registered, I was pulling into the parking place. Gold. How the fuck did they find me so fast? Must have had people in the area. The Jeep slid behind me, blocking my exit. I could run. But if they knew about me in the van, odds were too high they knew about Katie and the door on the passenger side opened. The dome light hadn't come on. Classic tactics. I could just glimpse the top of a head with straight black hair as the gunman got out. Kind of short, but that was to be expected, I suppose. The gunman would have a short exposure, he'd have to cross the back of the van to get to my door. I snatched the screwdriver out of the seat as the plan formed. I had about a 30% chance of pulling this off. Wait until the gunman was behind the van, drop it into reverse, and floor it. Pin the gunman between the Jeep and the van, push the Jeep into the cars on the other side of the cul de sac. That would pin the Jeep doors shut. Exit the van, go up over the back of the Jeep and drive the heavy screwdriver into the top of the driver's head through the rag top. That was the weak point of the plan. Why it was only 30%. I had no idea how tall the driver was, where his head would be. I gripped the screwdriver in my shift hand and hovered my foot over the gas, ready to stomp. He moved toward the kill zone. 3, 2, just before he entered the zone, the gunman turned his head. I froze in horror, and placed the screwdriver on the seat by my thigh. I managed to roll down the door window, grab the wheel with both hands to stop them from shaking. Tina looked at me as she rounded the van. Is Katie home? I nodded, forcing as much calm into my voice as I could. I think so. She looked back. Car is at the damn dealership again, and they give us the redneck pimp loner. The kids love it. She rolled her eyes, then waved at her kids who were staring at us from the back seat. Jesus Christ. I have to drop off her Mary Kay order with her. I smiled. Weakly, I'm sure. Are you going in? I'll be just a minute. The van has something that sounds wrong in it. She walked on up to the house. I leaned my head forward to rest on the steering wheel. Gun. Gun. Teddy Bear. I didn't think I'd ever get to the house and had to look back twice to make sure I'd rolled the damned window up. Then I realized I didn't give a shit anymore. Let it rain. I walked woodenly past the kitchen where Tina and Katie were talking. Katie started to say something, but it died as I pushed on past our little girl's room. She was sitting on the floor arranging her blocks. I flopped down in front of her and got a sloppy, berry flavored smooch. We started arranging her blocks. It's a game we play. She puts her blocks in an exact order, and I mess them up, rearrange them in a crazy nonsense way. She gives me a mock angry scowl and puts them back. Kimmy is just at that stage. There's no harm in it. We're just having fun, and she gets to practice her mad faces on me, knowing I won't be upset and knowing that I won't stop messing up her blocks that we're like that for a long time. Hush voices come from the kitchen and in the back of my mind I idly wonder how much Tina knows about Katie's struggle and how long Tina's husband will sit out there with his kids. I don't really care all that much. They should just be thankful to be alive. After a while hear two sets of steps to the door. One walking back from it. To Kimmy's doorway. I give it as long as I can without pushing it. Then I look up at Katie. Her face is full of hard resolve. Absolute determination. But that disappears almost immediately. She falls to her knees right beside me and pulls my face to her chest. Can't put anything over on Katie. Maybe it was my expression, the idiotic, black game induced half smile. More likely it was the tears streaming steadily down my face. The rain increased against the windows, but it wasn't raindrops falling on me, it was her tears. I'd have stayed like that forever. I felt Kimmy clamber up onto me, trying to see what was going on. We fell apart into a three way tickly fight that's the best thing that's happened to me in months. From Katie's expression, maybe the best thing in forever, the three of us end up sleeping in Kimmy's room together. Crunched together on the floor, surrounded by a very organized wall of blocks. The next day, I'm in the colonel's office, telling him my decision. He's not happy, but he isn't particularly surprised either. I explained the near tragedy the night before. The colonel's only response is, Good plan. We'll be gone in a few weeks. Most of that will be spent out processing. The sergeant major pulled some strings and I'm being seconded to a counterterrorism training facility as a primary instructor and lesson plan writer. There'll be no trips, no travel for my last two years as a soldier. And no more. Gun. Gun. Teddy bear. Not for me. There's one last barbecue. The car is packed and we're driving out right afterwards. I wait until it's almost over. The new guy is on the grill, and he's damn good at cooking steaks perfectly to order. I glance over at Katie. 
She's glowing and commiserating with the other wives. The longer-term ones are looking at her with frank admiration, the new ones with puzzlement. The brown-haired one must be the new guy's wife, and or something that I walk to the grill. Damn good steak. Thanks. He grins. It's a gift. I pull a strip of meaningless cloth from my pocket. Palming it, I reach over and shake his hand, passing it to him. He takes it and looks down at the blood-red eyes. Wear it well, monster. Thanks, Kurt. I can't imagine walking away from this. I shake my head. Had to leave. I gesture toward the strip in his palm. I was turning into the real thing. As we pull away I look in the rearview mirror and watch Kimmy playing with her new dark blue teddy bear.